This is not going to be a pleasant experience. You are going to see and hear things that are not going to be very nice. Experts divide serial killing into two general types: organized and disorganized. An organized killer brings everything he needs to complete the murder. A disorganized killer improvises. Begin. Listener discretion is advised. Emmett Lewis Teal was a 14-year-old African-American boy who was lynched in Mississippi in 1955 after being accused of offending a white woman in her family's grocery store. The brutality of his murder and the fact that his killers were acquitted drew the attention of a long history of violence persecuted against African-Americans in the United States. And it started. Emmett Teal was born in 1941 in Chicago. He was the son of Mamie Carthen and Louis Teal. Emmett was largely raised by Mamie Teal with the help of her mother. She and Louis Teal separated in 1942 after she discovered that he was being unfaithful. Mamie accused Louis Teal of choking her into unconsciousness. When he violated orders to stay away from Mamie, the judge in 1943 forced Louis Teal to choose between jail and enlisting in the United States Army. In 1945, only weeks after his son's fourth birthday, Louis Teal was executed in Italy due to willful misconduct. When Louis Teal was a teenager in 1955, Emmett's uncle Moses invited him to visit his Mississippi farm for two weeks. His mother only agreed after a serious talk about the differences between Mississippi and Chicago. Even though racism existed in both places, the rules for black people was much stricter in the South. Mamie recommended Emmett Teal avoid white people altogether. The 14-year-old understood. He packed his travel bag and his father's ring so that he could show his cousins and headed for the train station. Mamie and Emmett Teal hugged for so long that Emmett almost missed his train. Unbeknownst to her, it would be the last time she'd see her son alive. When Emmett arrived in Monday, Mississippi in August 21st, 1955, since Moses Wright was a sharecropper, Emmett spent most of his days helping with the cotton harvest. On August 24th, Emmett and a group of teens went to the local grocery store after a day of working in the fields. Accounts of what transpired varies because there were no witnesses in the store. Some witnesses state that one of the boys dared Emmett Till to talk to the store's cashier, Carol Bryant, a white woman. It was reported that he either whistled at her, touched her hand, flirted with the woman as he was leaving the store. Moses Wright later stated that the kidnappers only mentioned talk at the store and Sheriff George Smith spoke later that the killers arrested accused Teal of making ugly remarks. Whatever the truth was, after Teal left the store, Bryant went outside to retrieve a pistol from under the seat. The teenager saw her do this and left immediately. Other boys ran across the street. When an older man who was playing checkers heard the story, he urged the boys to leave quickly fearing violence and the story spread very quickly but teal did not mention the incident to his great uncle either because it didn't happen or because he was afraid to do so 
Carol Bryant's husband, Roy Bryant, was on an extended trip to Texas and didn't return until August 27th. Reportedly, Carol Bryant did not initially tell her husband, Roy Bryant, about the encounter with Teal. So Roy was told about the incident by a person who hung out around the store. After Roy Bryant was informed of what had happened, he aggressively questioned several young black men who entered the store. That evening, Roy Bryant learned that Teal was from Chicago and stayed with Moses Wright. Witnesses overheard Bryant and his half-brother, J.W. Millam, discussing taking Teal from his house. Early in the morning of August 28, 1955, sometime around 2 and 3.30 a.m., Bryant and Millam drove to Moses Wright's house. Millam was armed with a pistol and a flashlight. He asked Wright to take him to the nigger who did the talking. Teal's great aunt offered the men money, but Millam refused as he rushed Emmett to put on some clothes. Moses Wright informed the men that Teal was from up north and he didn't know any better. Millam threatened that if he told anybody, they would come back for him. The men marched Teal out to a truck and planned to drive him by the store in order to have Carol identify him, but stated that they didn't have to because Teal admitted to being the one they were looking for. They tied Teal up in the back of a green pickup truck, pistol whipped him into unconsciousness and drove to a barn near Drew, Mississippi. Willie Reed, who was only 18 years old at the time, saw the truck pass by. Willie Reed said that while he was walking home, he heard the beating and the crying coming from the barn. He told a neighbor and they walked back up the road to a water well near the barn where they were approached by J.W. Millam and Millam asked them, have you heard anything? And of course they responded with no. Millam and Bryant then drove to a cotton gin to take a 70 pound fan and drove several miles along the Tallahoochee River looking for a place to dispose of Teal. When they found the right spot, they shot Emmett Teal, weighed his body down with a 70 pound fan and dumped his body into the Tallahoochee River. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least, Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. Moses Wright stayed on his porch for nearly 20 minutes waiting for Teal to return. He then drove around town looking for Teal. Unsuccessful, they returned home at 8 a.m. Initially, Wright didn't want to call the police because he feared for his life. But after talking to Emmett's mother, Wright and his wife, Elizabeth, drove to the nearby town of Sumner, where Elizabeth's brother contacted the sheriff. They then contacted the local newspapers and the NAACP and even the White House via telegram. Millam and Bryant were questioned by the LaFleur County Sheriff, George Smith, and they admitted to taking the boy from his great uncle's yard, but claimed they had released him the same night in front of 
Bryant's store. They were then arrested for the kidnapping of Emmett Till. Three days after his abduction, Emmett's swollen and disfigured body was found by two boys who were fishing near the Tallahoochee River. His head was badly mutilated and his body had been shot right above his right ear and his eye had been dislodged from the socket. And he was tied to a fan blade, which was fastened around his neck with barbed wire. His face was barely recognizable due to the trauma and having been submerged in the water for three days. Moses Wright was called to the river to identify Teal's body, but could only identify him based on his father's ring with the initials LT, May 25th, 1943 on it. Local officials wanted to bury Emmett right away, but Mamie Till demanded that the body be sent back to Chicago. She later said that she worked to halt the immediate burial in Mississippi and called several local and state officials in Illinois and Mississippi to make sure that her son was returned to Chicago. After negotiations involving a local Chicago congressman, plans were made to bring Emmett home. At the funeral home, Mamie insisted that she see Emmett's horribly mangled face and body. The funeral director hesitated because Mississippi officials had only agreed to send the body back if the casket remained sealed. But Mamie did not care. She wanted to look at her son and she had one thought. Let the people see what they did to my boy. She ordered an open casket funeral and Mamie granted a photographer from the black magazine Jet permission to photograph Emmett's body and publish the pictures. Soon the mainstream media picked up the story. Nearly 100,000 people viewed Emmett's body for almost four days. It felt like most of Chicago came to repay their respects. So many people could relate to Mamie. The reason they had left the North is because they were worried about the safety of their families in the South and because they felt powerless to protect their children. After Millam and Bryant were indicted for murder, Millam and Bryant initially had difficulty finding attorneys that would represent them because they had limited funds. But the Sumner Law Firm offered their services pro bono and their supporters gathered almost $10,000 for their defense. Hamilton Caldwell, the state's prosecuting attorney, was not confident that he could get a conviction in a case of white violence against a black male accused of insulting a white woman. The NAACP also had their concerns that the prosecuting attorney, Gerald Chatham, would not be able to secure a guilty verdict despite the compelling evidence. Less than two weeks after Emmett's body was buried, Milliman Bryant went on trial in a segregated courtroom in Sumner, Mississippi. The trial lasted for five days. Attendees remembered that it was extremely hot and the courtroom was filled to capacity with almost 280 spectators. Black attendees sat in a segregated section and the press from major national newspapers attended, including black publications. Black reporters were required to sit in a segregated black section away from the white press and further away from the jury. Many Northern visitors found that the courtroom was run with surprising informality. Jurors were allowed to drink beer while on duty and some spectators even wore handguns. Moses Wright would take the stand and identify J.W. Millam during the trial, an act that was unheard of in the past because of significant intimidation of blacks in Mississippi. Wright had crossed a line that no other black man had ever crossed in Mississippi. Wright's testimony is considered one of the first times in the South that a black man had testified in a courtroom against a white man and lived. The defense attempted to cast doubt on the identity of the body that was pulled from the river. They said that it could not be positively identified, and they questioned whether Emmett was dead at all. The defense asserted that although Brian and Millam had taken Teal from his great uncle's house, they had released him that night, and the defense attorneys attempted to prove that Moses Wright could not identify Millam and Brian as the men that had taken Teal from the cabin. They noted that no lights were in the house were on at the time, and that with only Millam's flashlight, it would be impossible to identify either man. 
man. The thing is, Millam and Bryant had identified themselves to Wright that evening, and Wright said that he saw Millam extremely clearly. Mamie Teal also testified that she instructed her son to watch his manners while he was in Mississippi, and that if there should come a situation, he should ask the forgiveness of the white person. The defense questioned her identification of her son's casket in Chicago and the fact that she had taken out a $400 life insurance policy out on Teal. While the trial progressed, Tallahoochee County Sheriff Clarence Strider testified for the defense to his theory that Teal was still alive. He stated that the body retrieved from the river was white and suggested that the body had been a plant by the NAACP. A doctor from Greenwood, Mississippi stated that the body was too decomposed to identify, therefore had been in the water too long for it to be Emmett Teal. In concluding statements, the prosecuting attorney stated that what Teal did was wrong, but his actions weren't a spanking not murder. Chatham passionately called for justice and mocked the sheriff and the doctor's statements alluding to some type of conspiracy. The defense stated that the prosecution's theory of the events of the night that Tim was murdered were completely implausible. On September 23rd, an all-white, all-male jury acquitted both defendants after only 67 minutes of deliberation. One juror stated, if we hadn't stopped drink pop, it wouldn't have taken that long. In later interviews, jurors acknowledged that they knew that both Millam and Bryant were guilty, but simply did not believe that life imprisonment or the death penalty was a fit punishment for whites killing a black man. Two jurors said late in 2005 that they believed in the defense's case and said that the prosecution had not proved that Emmett Till was dead at all, nor that that was his body that was removed from the river. In late 1955, black leaders were still hopeful that Milliman Bryant would at least be punished for kidnapping. A grand jury was convened and Milliman Bryant would again both admit to taking Teal. Moses Wright and Willie Reed would both testify. Willie Reed stating that he had seen Milliman enter the shed from which screams and blows could be heard. But after two weeks, the grand jury had still not decided on whether or not they were going to indict Milliman and Bryant. Mississippi Senator James O. Eastland then dug up information on Lewis Teal's past and leaked it to the press. It stated the United States Army had executed Private Teal in Italy in 1945, raping two Italian women and killing a third. This insinuated that Emmett's behavior ran in his family. And in November 9th, 1955, a grand jury refused to indict Millam and Bryant on the kidnapping charges and both men were completely free. Mamie Teal would turn to the federal government for help, but it was to no avail. She didn't even receive her ex-husband's army records, so how could Senator Eastland? She also attempted to meet with President Dwight Eisenhower, but he refused. And also, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover wrote in a memo, there have been no allegations made against the victim. Emmett Teal has been subjected to the deprivation of any rights or privileges that have been secured or protected by the Constitution and the laws of the United States. Protected by Double Jeopardy, Milliman Bryant struck a deal with Look Magazine in 1956 to tell that story for about $4,000. The interview took place at the law firm of the attorneys, and Milliman Bryant were also interviewed not by the magazine, but by their own attorneys, during which Millam would admit to shooting Teal and that neither man believed they were guilty or that they had done anything wrong. The Federal Bureau of Investigation would reopen Emmett Till's case in 2004. Although Miller and Bryant were long dead, the agents sought to obtain conclusive accounts to Till's final hours and whether charges should be brought up against anyone still living. The FBI said that the statute of limitations, which had run out in any federal crime, but the FBI worked with state investigators to determine if state charges could still be brought. After a three-year investigation in which Till's body was exhumed and given a complete autopsy, but it did not lead 
to the filing of any criminal charges. But it did uncover a deathbed confession by Millam's brother, Leslie, who admitted his own involvement in the kidnapping and murder. In 2006, the cold case initiative to investigate racially motivated killings from decades earlier, a federal law named it after Teal allowed for the review of killings that had not been solved or prosecuted to the point of conviction. The Emmett Teal Unsolved Civil Rights Crime Act requires that the Justice Department make an annual report to Congress. While no report was filed in 2020, a report was filed in December 2021 and announced that they were closing the investigation. Lastly, in 2017, author Timothy Tyson released the details from his 2008 interview of Carol Bryant, Emma's accuser, who is now known as Carol Donningham, who was living in Raleigh, North Carolina. She disclosed that she had fabricated parts of her testimony during trial. Bryant recanted her testimony that Teal had grabbed her wrist and uttered obscenities, saying that that part wasn't true. Bryant said that she did not remember the rest of the events that had occurred between her and Teal in the grocery store, but she did say that nothing that boy could have done would ever justify what happened to him this will conclude the episode thanks for tuning in if you like what you hear please leave a comment and subscribe thank you